You may be seated. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15 is where we'll be again this morning. Acts chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 36 through 41 together this morning. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. Let's pray together. Father, we are very grateful for this Lord's Day. Thank you for the sun, the clouds, the sky, the rain that we've received this week, the shade that we're able to sit under right now. It's this beautiful property that you've provided us. We thank you also, Lord, for your word. We agree with what we just sang, Lord. We agree in prayer together as a church family. Where else can we go? You have the words of life. And our prayer really is that song, God, that you would show us your glory, that we would be transformed from one degree of glory to another, and that every heart that's here and every heart that's listening online will confess, Christ, that you are Lord, that you are God, that you are our King, and you save sinners. So, Father, strengthen your church today. Add to your church today. May we see and savor Christ today. God, we pray for your spirit's illumination. We so desperately need it. God, we need your spirit to open our eyes to see the truth of your word. To open our hearts, God, to receive what's shared. And then to work. God deep in us to know how to apply it. Father, we don't want to be just hearers. We want to be doers. And so God, today, as we look at the life of Paul and Barnabas, uh, some of this passage may be very challenging in many ways for some. Hopefully for us all, God, we are challenged by your spirit and called to action. And so, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, we trust that you have heard our prayers because of our great high priest, Christ. And we trust that you'll answer us when we call. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said something very important. And I know that you know this but I want to remind us of what he said he said to Peter he said Peter I'm going to build my church do you remember that remember when he said that he said in Matthew 16 18 I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it and if you think about the book of Acts and then you kind of run the book of Acts through the grid of what Jesus said in Matthew 16 18 that's exactly what we've seen. We have seen Christ be faithful to what he's promised. 
to be faithful to his word and to build his church. We've seen him build his church in all different types of settings and circumstances, haven't we? We've looked at Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and indwelt these believers and empowered them for life and ministry and the church grew and exploded and many people came to faith in Christ. I think we would say easily that that was a mountaintop experience for the church. But as you keep reading, as you know, in the book of Acts, around every corner is a persecution. There's some kind of a challenge. There's some kind of adversity. Someone's being thrown in prison for the gospel. Someone's being martyred for the gospel. Someone's being beaten for the gospel. Someone's being chased here, there, and everywhere for the gospel. It's not easy. And, and every single time we've seen the enemy attack trying to stamp out and snuff out what God is doing and building the church and advancing the kingdom, but it never works. Have you noticed that? Because what did Jesus say? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, my goodness, we also saw false teachers, did we not? We've seen several false teachers. We've seen demonic activity. We've seen all kinds of things in the book of Acts. And we're only in chapter 15. But one of the things that we're noticing over and over and over again is the faithfulness of Christ to the church. He is the head. We are the bride. He is the one that saves. He is the one that keeps. He is the one that preserves. He is the one that advances the kingdom through his people. We recently even saw in Acts 15 when we walked through the Jerusalem Council, if you remember, a doctrinal explosion. You remember that? The challenge that the church had to walk through there of how is a Gentile saved? Are they really rightly saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone? And we saw the answer to that question was a resounding yes and amen. They are. They are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. They did not have to be converted to Judaism and then be converted to Christ. And so everywhere you look and everywhere you turn, I want you to understand that in the backdrop of Acts, as every story unfolds, everything that happens there's a faithful savior to his people, building his church and advancing the kingdom. That's important to know because we're coming to a passage of scripture this morning. To be honest, it's a tough one. I don't mean that it's tough and that's a theological conundrum and it's hard for us to figure out. No, it's very simple. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about one of those mysteries, you know, where you read about and you're like, well, where did so-and-so go when they were called up into heaven? Like, where is their body? Where? It's nothing like that. <clears throat> it's a relational struggle between two brothers. And we have to be honest. Based on everything we just discussed and everything that we've studied and everything we've read so far in Acts, none of us see this coming. It's an amazing thing. And so my purpose and my aim this morning really is just to unpack what happens with Paul and what happens with Barnabas. The most unlikely of separation between brothers and friends. But in that, remember what I said, there is a God who is faithful to his people and his church. False teachers aren't going to stop it. 
Nothing's going to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God, not even when brothers separate. Look with me at the text. Verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. Now listen to verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Won't you look with me at verse 36? You know, Pastor Jay, one of the things I love about the church of Antioch is they were so missions-minded. You know, for us, we just got through May month of missions where we refocused our, our thinking and our values and our hearts on missions. But in reality, it never stops, does it? The same thing happened here. I mean, look at verse 36 again. After some days, Paul and Barnabas, they basically look at each other and Paul said, hey, Barnabas, let's go back. Let's return. Let's go back to where we've already been. And let's check on everybody. Let's see how everyone is doing. In fact, when you look there in the part that's quoted where Paul says, let us return and visit. That word visit literally is the word inspect in the Greek. What do you do when you inspect something? Well, when you inspect something, you get it out of whatever it is and you look at it. You look it over. You touch it. You feel it. You are giving it a glance. You are giving it a thorough glance. You are looking at it with, as we say, a fine tooth comb. We're inspecting it. And that's what Paul wanted to do with these churches. He wanted to inspect them. He wanted to lay his eyes on them. He wanted to visit them. He wanted to see how they were doing. Why would he want to do that? Didn't he have other things that he could be doing? Wasn't there another area that he could be going? Well, sure there was. But it was love for the people of God and love for the Lord that motivated him to ask Barnabas this question. Hey, why don't we go back and inspect and visit and look? and see how they're doing. I thought about this. You know, individually, it doesn't take much for us to drift. Spiritually, does it? It doesn't take much for us to drift spiritually. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But it doesn't take much. And if a church is made up of redeemed people, then it doesn't take much for a church to to drift. I mean, think about what just happened to the church in Antioch, right? 
Paul and Barnabas are there teaching and preaching faithfully in the church. And what happened in that church while they were there? There was a doctrinal disagreement that blew up concerning the gospel while they were there. So naturally, Paul's thinking, once they get this solved, I wonder how everyone else is doing. And if they're having these same types of struggles or if they're having different struggles. Hey, Barnabas, here's what we need to do. We need to go look. We need to go see. We need to go talk. We need to go visit. We need to go inspect with our eyes, with our ears and with our lives and see how our brothers and sisters are doing everywhere we where we just visited it's pretty awesome pretty awesome when i was thinking about that pastor jim i thought about the fact that none of us as christians drift towards holiness we don't we don't drift towards holiness if we're honest we naturally drift towards unholiness we fudge a little here, we fudge a little there, we cut a little corner here, we cut a little corner there. I'll pray tomorrow, I'll pray later, I'll read later, I'll read tomorrow, I'll share the gospel with this person tomorrow, I'll go to church next month, I'll do this, I'll do that. That's how we tend to operate. We don't drift towards holiness, we don't drift towards God, we, we drift away. We actually have to do the opposite, don't we? We actually have to fight for our holiness. We actually have to fight to be closer to God. We have to actually fight with our spiritual disciplines. We actually have to press into Christ with the Holy Spirit's empowerment and help so that we stay firm, rooted in the faith, and that we don't drift. So why would we do May Month of Missions? Why would we preach the Bible expositorily every week? Why would we have small groups where we're actually studying the Bible? Why would we do that? So that we as a church don't drift. So that we as a church don't stray. Listen, if it can happen to anybody, it can happen to us. No one gets a free pass. It's not like the devil's saying, well, I'm going to go mess up with every other church except for Everglades. It doesn't really work that way. We're attacked from without and we're also attacked, attacked from within. Does that make sense? And so this is why Paul would say, Barnabas, we, if we do anything right now, we need to go back and we need to go visit these churches. They're babies in the faith. They're young in the faith. They, they need, we need to make sure that they're good. They haven't drifted, that they're holding true to the gospel. And so they decide to do that. Now, look at what happens in verse 37. They begin to make plans. And as they're talking it through, like we all do when we make plans, this is Barnabas's contribution to the plan. Notice what he wants to do in verse 37. The Bible says in verse 37 that Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. At first glance, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Okay, that's great. He'd be an asset to the team. We should take him along with us. But don't forget Acts 13, verse 13. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, at the beginning of Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey? If you went back to chapter 13 and you looked at verse 13, one of the things that you would notice is that John Mark was actually with them on that first missionary journey. And when you look at verse 13 and you read it, one of the things that you'll notice is when the things got hot, when things got hot and things got heavy, when the bullets started flying. 
Do you know what John Mark did? If you were to look at verse 13, it says that he went back home. He withdrew. He quit. He stopped following. He deserted. And so when Barnabas is saying, let's take John Mark, this is a significant suggestion. This is something that they're going to have to talk about. This is something that they're going to have to work through. This is something that they just can't pass over quickly. Paul is going to have to think about this for a few minutes. Look at verse 38. Notice what Paul says in verse 38. Barnabas makes the suggestion. What does Paul say? Paul thinks that it's not best to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. That word withdrawn in the original language just means literally to desert. He jumped ship. Barnabas says, we need to take him. And Paul says, no, we don't need to take him. No, it shouldn't surprise us that Barnabas would want to take John Mark, right? He was his cousin. Surely they were family. But at the same time, Barnabas's name meant, do you know what his name meant? Do you remember? Son of encouragement. Acts 4 tells us that in verse 37. Son of encouragement. He was, Barnabas was the kind of guy that was always looking for the silver lining in somebody. Right? Like there's some people that just look at the worst in people. Barnabas wasn't cut from that cloth. He was always looking for the evidences of grace in somebody's life and saying, you know, Paul, I know he was like this at one time, but look at him now. Look at how far he's come. He's not what he once was. Let's take him. Paul's like, I don't think that's wise. I don't think that's best. <laughs> don't you remember, Barnabas, the, the pickle that we were in when he left us, the way that he left us without any warning, without any notice, he just up and left. I don't think that we should should take him and then look at verse 38 again one who had draw, withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not had not gone with them to the work interesting phrase talking about gospel ministry that is work that is work this isn't a crusade this isn't a social club this isn't this is work and labor making disciples is hard and Paul is saying look I need somebody that I can count on I need somebody that's got my back I need somebody that I can trust I need somebody that says that they're going to be there when they say they are going to be there and do what they say they are going to do they're going to dot every I and cross every T I need somebody that's faithful available and teachable, Pastor Eric. Remember that? Back in the day? So Paul's like, I just don't know, man. This isn't a Disney cruise. Like, we're not going out in the Mediterranean Sea on a boat just like fishing. Like, this is work. Planting churches and being persecuted for the gospel. This is, this is work. Now, look at verse 39. This is hard to read. Look at what happens. Look at what the Bible says. 
Barnabas is on this side. We need to take John Mark. Paul is on this side. I don't think we need to take John Mark. And then look what happens in verse 39. The Bible, first of all, says in verse 39 that there arose between these two brothers, these faithful brothers. Think about all they had been through together. Think about all that they had suffered together. The people they had seen come to faith in Christ. The persecution that they had been through. My goodness, let us not forget that it was Barnabas in Acts 9 that went to the other apostles and went to bat for a newly converted Paul and brought him into the fold and said, no, he's good. I vet him. He's good. We can trust him. He's not tricking us. He really has been changed. He's not who he once was. Let's not forget that it was Barnabas in Acts 11 that actually went when the church of Antioch exploded through the preaching of, of those that had come from Cyprus and Cyrene when they were scattered through persecution. It was Barnabas at the church of Antioch who went to Tarsus and got Saul and brought him there and they both labored in that church, strengthening them in the faith. I could go on and on and on. The only illustration that I could give you to help you make sense of the significance of what we are about to read would be if Pastor Eric and Pastor Jim got at odds with one another. Or Pastor Jim and myself were at odds with one another. Or maybe the three of us were at odds with one another. Do you, do you see that? Because when you see us and you see us ministering, we're always doing this together. We're talking about everything together. We're praying about everything together. We're seeking God's face together. We're studying the word. To, like We're doing this together. We're striving to shepherd you together. No one has a hidden agenda. No one has an ulterior agenda. When you talk to Eric, it's like talking to me. When you talk to me, it's like talking to Jim. When, when you talk to Jim, it's like talking to me. You get what I'm trying to say? That's the dynamic of this relationship. The only thing I would say that's different is Eric and Jim and myself have not been in prison, have not been beaten, and have not suffered greatly for the gospel. Other than that, we are of one mind. And it blows your mind what we're about to read. So look at what it says. There arose a sharp disagreement. And it's hard in English to really grasp the significance of this disagreement. Because this disagreement was not, well, I think that the podium should be here. And you think that the podium should be there. And, you know, I'm just kind of ill at you right now. No, that's not what this was about. When you study this in the original language, this word gets at an intense and an emotional exchange of words and feelings and actions. Intense and emotional. It also gets at an intense and emotional exchange of words and conversation that leads to irreconcilable differences. 
This was more and deeper than they didn't see eye to eye. Did they see eye to eye? No, but there's more to it than that. This is a deep disagreement, a heated exchange, a volatile conversation that went down in the confines of the Antioch church in front of these believers. This is significant. And if all we had was this verse, what are we left to think about? Satan won. <laughs> he busted them up. He couldn't destroy them with false doctrine. He couldn't destroy them with disunity. So what does he do? He just destroys them in leadership. That's what he does. But remember what I told you at the beginning. We have a God who loves his church and loves his people. My goodness, Christ died for the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. He will build his church. Even when leaders have heated exchanges that lead to, look at the verse. They separated. It means to disjoin. It literally means to split. Unfortunately, the history of church planting in Okeechobee County is not really dominated by churches planting new churches. Instead, it's mostly dominated by churches that have split. And that's an amen and an OB moment. But we do need to call a spade a spade. When you look at the history of the way things have unfolded here, it really hasn't been primarily by a church having a heart for another part of the community and starting a new work. It's basically people having heated exchanges and can't get along and won't reconcile their differences. And so they leave and they start a new church. And that's what happens. And that's what happened here. Now, let me say this. If you've ever experienced that, then you know the deep seated hurt that comes with this verse. If you've never experienced it, then you should be thankful in God's kindness and his providence towards you that you haven't. But if you have, you know that it's not as clean and as sanitary as just reading a few verses in the Bible. But backloaded with a situation like this is hurt, often unforgiveness, temptations to bitterness, anger, all types of different things, hurt feelings. It's hard. And I bring that up because I want you to understand the emotional reality of what we're reading in the text. That this is a significant moment in the text. This is a significant moment in redemptive history. This is not just something we read over and move on to Acts chapter 16. This is a moment where there were two brothers that had labored together for the gospel. Seeing people come to faith in Christ and helping these new believers grow in Christ. And in this moment in time, they had irreconcilable differences. Neither one were going to budge. Both drew a line in the sand and both said John Mark serving with them or not serving with them was a hill worth dying on. I don't know about you, but we do have to admit that this is kind of sad. This is kind of sad. It should break our hearts. a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. 
There's a warning. Let me give you eight things quickly. Number one, guard your hearts and your opinions. Guard your hearts. Remember, Satan's looking for any chink in the armor, yours personally and in the life of a local church. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts and your opinions, actions, and attitudes towards others. Number two, be humble. Number three, be prayerful. You know, I thought about this, Israel. One of the sad things about verse 39 and verse 38, and even verse 37 that we don't see is these brothers pray. I mean, up until this moment, think about Acts chapter 13. What was the church at Antioch doing when they sent Paul and Barnabas out to begin with? They were praying and fasting and seeking God's face. What is glaringly missing here in this moment? What is glaringly missing in this moment at the very beginning of the second missionary journey is Paul never, Paul never says, let's pray about this. Barnabas never says, the son of encouragement, let's pray about this. None of the other elders in the church say, let's pray about this, brothers. But they got in their feelings. Be prayerful. Number four, seek the lordship, the lordship of Christ and the preeminence of his kingdom. We can never hear enough that this is not our church. Everglades is not our church. We are stewards of the gospel. We are stewards of one another's spiritual health. But this is not our church. This is Christ's church, his kingdom. And we need to remember that constantly. Number five, we need to be slow to take an offense. Oh, my goodness. It's so easily we, we live in such an emotionally fragile culture. I mean, if you tell somebody you got a booger in your nose, they're going to get offended in that some way. We just need to be slow to take an offense. Sometimes we do make mountains out of molehills, y'all. And love does cover a multitude of sins. And we really can forgive and move on. And we probably really could step to somebody and say, Hey, you said this. Did you really mean that by what you said? And that probably cleared 99.999% of all disagreements up like that. Number six, be quick to forgive. Number seven, watch out for places in your life and in the church where the devil would love to destroy relationships and cause harm. And number eight, watch out for negativity. It's like cancer to your soul. Now, as I've mentioned, if all we had was verse 39, we probably would be thinking, man, the wheels have come off. The wheels haven't come off. God's sovereign. He's in control. He's got it. He's planned it. He's decreed it. We don't understand all things. It's certainly mysterious, but what we do know is God's got it completely under control, and he's going to make something good out of something bad. But before we get too far into that, I want you to notice verse 39. I want you to feel the weight of this one more time. There's this disagreement, and they separate. And it's easy to read over the back half of verse 39. Look at what it says. Who did Barnabas take? Mark? All right, Miss Kim, let's be good English students, shall we? Barnabas took Mark. What's the next word? With him. Huh. What does that mean? Who was with him? Mark. 
She heard the whole thing go down. Mark. How would you have liked to have been John Mark in that situation? It's heartbreaking. This is hard. Words have consequences and actions have consequences and the way we treat one another really does matter. And for this young man named John Mark, should he have deserted? No. Should he have been faithful? Yes. Did he do the right thing? No. But was he, by Barnabas' admission, trying to get on the right track? Yes. And both of these brothers were wrong in the way that they handled themselves in this situation. And they were more concerned about getting their way than they were about this young man. It's interesting, after this section in Scripture, Barnabas is never mentioned again in the book of Acts. We're probably led to believe, well, maybe that means Barnabas didn't have a fruitful ministry any longer. And that's not true. We'll look at that in just a second. Barnabas takes Mark. He sails away back to their home city of Cyprus. Verse 40, Paul chooses Silas, which was a good and wise choice. Silas was definitely a gifted teacher. We've already seen that. He's a gifted preacher. We've already seen that. He loved the brothers. We've already seen that. Ethnically, ethnically wise, he was a Jew, which, mean he, which meant he could go into the synagogues and minister to the Jews very easily. He also was a Roman citizen like Paul, which meant that he had the same privileges that Paul had. I mean, it was a really good, solid pick. It really was. And if you read the book of Acts as it unfolds, these brothers worked hard and labored and suffered much for the gospel. And when you keep going, we notice that the church stands behind them and commends them and sends them out on the second missionary journey. Verse 41, they go through Syria and Cilicia and they strengthen the churches. So what do we make of all this? And here's how we're going to land the plane. I'm going to give you three specific applications to kind of try to tie all this together. Number one, we have to agree with William Cowper who said behind a smiling providence, excuse me, behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. Because even in the difficulty of this passage, God really specializes in taking things that we mess up and making good out of it. Yeah, we should all say amen to that. <laughs> that God takes our, our mess ups, our failures, and our shortcomings and makes something good out of it. It really is Genesis 50-20. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Even in situations like this, God is ruling and God is reigning, accomplishing his plans, his purposes, and his ways. Now, I want you to think about this with me for just a minute. Prior to the discussion in 39 or the heated exchange in 39, how many missionary teams were there? One. At the end of this, how many missionary teams now are there? Two. God takes something difficult and multiplies it. The reality is, Pastor Eric, Paul and Barnabas should have already been thinking in this direction to begin with. But they loved each other and they wanted to serve together. I get it. 
So what they were reluctant to do, the Lord did. He made two teams where there was once one. And really, that's the story of Christianity. If you went back to Acts 2, that's what God does as well. They should have already left the upper room. They should have already left Jerusalem, but they didn't, so he scatters them with persecution. Second, even though Barnabas isn't mentioned again in the book of Acts, his ministry wasn't over. In fact, I would submit to you that we can persuasively argue from the Bible that his greatest and most effective work was ahead of him, not behind him. And specifically, it was in the life of John Mark. In the restoration of John Mark and in the rebuilding of John Mark. Remember what I told you. Remember who was there. Remember who heard the conversation. Remember who knew what Paul thought about him. There was no hiding. He knew exactly what Paul thought. Who picked up the pieces? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Who breathed life into him? Barnabas. Who helped him? Barnabas. Who strengthened him? Barnabas. Who walked beside him? Barnabas. Let me give you a couple of redemptive things about this relationship. In Colossians 4, chapter 10, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 10, if you were to read that, you would find in Colossians 4, verse 10, that Paul, writing to the Colossians, tells the Colossians to welcome John Mark. Isn't that interesting? Huh. You say, well, wait a minute. You just, we, we just read that. I don't get it. You don't have to get it. God fixed it because they applied the gospel. And when they applied the gospel and they reconciled to one another, which we'll talk more about in just a second, that's what led Paul to be able to say, hey, Colossians, John Mark, welcome him. You can trust him. That's significant. May we not forget, brothers and sisters, that we're not what we ought to be, but we're not what we once were. That by God's grace, we're all growing and maturing in Christ, and we probably would all do better to be a little more patient with one another. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. You guys know this. At the end of Paul's life, who does he ask for to come to see him and minister to him specifically? Do you remember? John Mark. First Peter chapter 5. I want you to turn there because this is a really cool passage of scripture. John Mark had redeemed himself and was profitable to Paul. John Mark was also profitable to Peter. First Peter chapter 5. Verse 12. By Silvanus, that's Silas, by the way. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does who? Mark. Now look at the, left, the next part. My what? My son. That shows the kind of relationship that Peter had developed with Mark. 
And all of that needs to be linked to Barnabas. Barnabas poured into him, ministered to him, encouraged him, strengthened him. So then that he got back on sound footing and grew like he had never grown before and was useful to Paul and useful to Peter. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Pastor Eric is preaching through the gospel of Mark. Pastor Eric, who wrote Mark? John Mark. Huh. This guy that Paul didn't want to go with him on the second missionary journey because of Barnabas's ministry to him is having an impact on us today as we read the gospel of Mark. We're so quick to throw people away, aren't we? They'll never amount to anything. Nothing good will come from them. Barnabas didn't believe that. Even though Paul said, no, I don't want to take him. I don't trust him. He'll leave us again. Barnabas said, uh-uh. Nope. I'll take him. I'll pour into him. I'll develop him. I'll help him grow. And think about all the ways we just discussed that God used John Mark. Third. Paul and Barnabas at some point did reconcile. Now, we're not going to know the details of that story until we get to heaven. I want to know, but we don't know. But what we do know is that they did. They had to. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and you go and you look at verse 6, you know who Paul commends as a faithful minister of the gospel and tells the Corinthians and uses him as an example? Barnabas. Isn't that interesting? What does that tell us? That tells us that even though in verse 39 of Acts 15, they departed and separated and split up for a moment because of the Holy Spirit and because both men were converted and because of the power of the gospel and God's word, they could not stay at odds with one another. They had to reconcile their differences. It's powerful. That means they forgave one another. Are you still in 1 Peter chapter 5? Look at verse 12 again. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him. Verse 13, at the end, Mark, my son. Huh. These aren't two separate teams that are doing their own things, separated out from one another. They're working together as a network. They could only have done that if they resolved their differences. Peter says about Silas, who Paul took with him, he's profitable. He's a good man. He's a faithful brother. And Mark's my son in the faith. And that doesn't happen apart from the Holy Spirit. That doesn't happen apart from the word of God. That doesn't happen apart from people genuinely being, being born again and genuinely seeking forgiveness and reconciliation and applying the scriptures to their lives and saying, we can't be at odds anymore. We need to reconcile our differences with one another. So I thought about this. Are all your relationships marked by unity, forgiveness, and the bond of peace in Christ? Are all your relationships marked by unity, forgiveness and the bond of peace in Christ 
your relationships at work, your relationships at home, your relationships in this local church. So brothers and sisters, I love you, but we have to go there. Maybe broken relationships or strained relationships in other local churches that you've been a part of. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, John, Mark, they set an example for us of what it looks like to be a network of churches, not a divided kingdom. This is powerful. This is hard. This is going to require some dying to self. And those eight things that I gave you a little while ago, applying those to your life. And I have to ask this follow-up question. Is there someone that you need to reconcile with? And I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do in your life with this. But I do know that you can't stay neutral. The gospel won't let you. The gospel won't let you. The last thing I'll say, then I'm going to pray. And I know this is hard to hear and convicting, but it's free. How much has God forgiven you of? And Jesus is super clear. The way we forgive is the way God's forgiven us. And the way we seek reconciliation is the way that God has sought reconciliation with us. And so, yes, this moment is sad. And yes, this moment is unbelievable. And yes, this moment in Acts 15, we never saw coming. But yes, there's a God behind the story who's the hero of the Bible, who's building his church and takes this mess and rebuilds it and actually strengthens the church. And the Christians that were involved were obedient to what the Spirit was impressing on their heart. The kingdom is stronger when we're obedient to the Spirit. Remember that. Pray together. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. There's so much there. It seems so simple, but yet it's layered with so many different things. Father, I pray right now you'll test our actions and our attitudes by your Spirit and Word, and that we'll be obedient to whatever you're placing upon our hearts to do. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you don't allow us to remain neutral. You're always push, pushing us forward. And we need that. God, help us to learn from this example on what not to do. And then down the road, based on their example, what to do. We're grateful. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand on your feet as we close worshiping the Lord together with the song.